This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. All right, away we go. Topics worthy of discussion. The panel part of the program brought to you by Pizzaville. Dial pound 3636. And joining us, as he does most Thursdays, Peter Sherman, broadcaster, businessman, former conservative MPP. Peter, how are you doing? I am doing very well. Well, as a shut-in, I hope you're doing well, too. Yeah, likewise. And David Wills is with us as well, Senior Vice President of Media Profile. That's a leading Toronto public relations agency. Mr. Wills, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm not relating well with the public, but uh, that's what I'm asked to do, and that's what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Social distancing comes easy to you, then. <laughs> it does with uh, with poor hygiene and you know uh, an abrasive personality. It's, it comes easy for some of us. <laughs> it's kind of the default position. I got you. I All right. Well, every, every when you took us out of the studio, um, David and I became the best friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, well that's got to change. I know. Uh, and speaking, well, go ahead. All right. Let me ask you about change, because I was talking about this uh, to some extent today, but also yesterday, you know, with the scourge that's been visited upon our long-term care homes. And we've seen that the deaths have basically uh, shot the models all out of the water because nobody anticipated it would be as uh, severe as it's turned out to be. A wildfire, as the premier has called it. Uh, and lamentably so. And part of the reason uh, it might be said is because there weren't safeguards in place. Not that anybody really knew or anticipated how uh, this thing could really cut through these homes, but the vulnerable have, uh, you know, paid the, paid the the price. Peter Sherman, let me ask you first off. I mean, we talked to Jerry Diaz yesterday, who represents on a unionized force in hospitals and long-term care homes, uh, and he had a series of complaints. He says he's brought to the government's attention, previous governments as well as this one, even invited the premier to go on a a shift with him in one of these homes. Uh, And basically, it all comes down to uh, a lack of standards and regulations that would, A, increase wages so that job retention isn't as such an issue, uh, part-timers who skip in and out, like that home in Montreal in Dorval where people just refused to show up. They were MIA, derelict in their duty. But when they're being paid minimum wage, I guess that's to be anticipated. So uh, do you think that this is now the game changer? Unfortunately, it took this. But there are going to be uh, wage protections, hours, uh, staffing requirements at the minimum, all these new uh, standards, regulations appropriate to uh, introduce here? Well, an ordinary answer might be, well, whatever it takes. But in this case, I would say no. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing about this is I think as a society and uh, as a government, we in Ontario, and I might say every other province and every state in the union, not to go beyond North America, has known about the deficiencies in both private and public long-term care facilities for a very long time. And I think that Jerry Dias knows, and we all know that the cohort above 65 is the most growing and now the largest largest cohort of people, because that's where the boomers went, 
Okay, Boomer. Uh, so take that and add it to the fact that even before it arrived here, COVID-19 was said to be most dangerous uh, to the most vulnerable people at the top end of the age spectrum. Well, you put that in a mixing bowl, and what you get is this. So it's very nice, and I'm not uh, suggesting that Jerry did this. We we are concerned with Ontario, but it's not an Ontario thing. It's an Ontario thing and a Quebec thing and a B.C. thing. And if you remember back a month ago, it was a state of Washington thing. Everywhere where there have been long-term care facilities, they've experienced exactly the same thing. So uh, this is the wake-up call, but a lot of people have had to pay with their their lives for it. So the wake-up call, that means we've got to pay people in such a way that they provide the appropriate standard of care, that they don't have to work in three different facilities, that people don't uh, socialize freely on a regular basis, particularly when there's this kind of a pathogen loose, because they and their families have paid so, so, so dearly. All right, Mr. Wilson, how do we remediate? I mean, Peter's uh, mentioned a number of things here. The shortcomings in the system. I mean, systemically, how do we address this whole thing? Well, you know, I I think, you know, Peter and I are going to agree on this, which neither of us like to do very often, but we've been doing a lot lately. I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of the rearview mirror stuff happening here that, oh, Kathleen Wynne should have done this, Doug Ford should have done that this province, this province, that, you know, I think Peter's, Peter and I will agree on that. It's not very productive. I think what we have to do is focus our energy on learning what we learned, and we learned it the hard way, is what's the, what's the best method going forward? And part of the problem has been, um, you know, the, um, you know, people being, you know, low wage and also low job security. So Peter mentioned that some of them work at several different facilities, and they have to do that because they don't get full-time hours. So they get eight hours at this one, eight hours at that one, eight hours at this one, and they, they go from place to place to place. And when you think about this now where we're spreading um, a virus, how incredibly dangerous that is, and we're seeing what happens with that. And I think we have to put those standards in place where these people are looked at as what they are, which is valuable frontline professionals. They have to be paid accordingly, they have to be trained accordingly, and they have to be given the right Uh, protective personal gear in order to do their jobs effectively. And I think how we decide to redesign the system going forward is going to define us. Well, yeah, and what came out of the Wetlawfer inquiry uh, last year, you know, this is the nurse that killed the eight people in the long-term care facilities out London Way uh, a number of years back, is that there weren't adequate uh, inspections of these homes. And, you know, I heard the uh, minister, uh, Fullerton, saying the other day that, you know, it's only if there's a, an issue or a crisis at a home that we would address it. But do we need to make these standard and somewhat more frequent, uh, make sure that everybody's doing things according to Hoyle? I mean, that story of the Dorval home uh, where people, uh, Maison Heron, where 31, I, I guess, uh, at latest have died. There's now police tape surrounding it. It's a crime scene obviously want neglect and uh you know just people have abandoned uh the wards and there were like uh you know one orderly for i don't know 40 50 people just unconscionable stuff uh, this all has to be written into law doesn't it peter i mean that there are hard and fast rules and you don't let a lot of these privateers this is something that surfaced as well diaz was quick to point that out it's all for profit at the expense of people's health and well-being so uh, do we really have to keep these operators on a short lease and make sure they're operating at, uh, you know, peak expectation? Well, uh, to me, I'll say it's obvious that we do. And I think that the two things that come out of the discussion with 
David and myself and the things that you've raised uh, and just looking at things. You watch the, watch the, the global television news any given night uh, or watch uh, Lester Holt on NBC and you'll see the same thing. It doesn't matter where it is. It can be at the other side of the continent in another country that uh, is adjoining ours. It can be in the province to the east of us, Quebec. Um, every, all these things have happened simultaneously because we are all fighting a common enemy. So it seems that regular inspections are not the uh, the order of the day, the norm in any of these places. That's one thing that's terribly wrong. And paying people such that they don't have to freelance into other institutions is also wrong. And providing them with the kind of equipment that prepare, prepares them as we do, or maybe, maybe I should say should, for all healthcare workers, uh, ambulance people and so forth, uh, is de rigueur. We have to do those things or we risk this ongoing and uh, we risk it again the next time. And it's not an if, it's a when, the next time this happens. You know, uh, David Wells, there's a situation where, uh, I guess, in two different places with the TTC, uh, bus drivers and streetcar operators, uh, one was at the Wilson Yard and the other one, I guess, was uh, Queen West or somewhere. I don't have the notes in front of me, but uh, they refused to work last night because they say they're not adequately protected. And to that point, you've even got nurses in New York uh, are suing now. I guess it's the government because they feel they've they've been placed in harm's way without adequate equipment as well. You think these people have a legitimate reason not to step into the breach and perform their duties? I I don't think any worker should have to go to work if they feel unsafe, period. And I think that we have to remember that people like bus drivers, uh, streetcar drivers are an essential service. They're required to get people around. Uh, People who work on the front lines of healthcare need to get to hospitals where they work and so forth. And we have to take it seriously that the people who drive those buses, who clean those buses and, and, and other activities that they're doing have to feel safe. And if they don't feel safe, that's a that's mental health. It's bad on your physical health. And I think we have to take steps, whether that's making sure that they have masks, gloves, um, plexiglass protection, all of those different things, which we're playing catch up on. Uh, but I think for some, everybody's different. And some people may feel that they're, they feel safe and they go to work fine. But if you don't, I think it's a, a worker's right issue and you have a right to not work to refuse work if you don't feel safe. And that would extend to cashiers, let's say, in a supermarket, janitorial staff, the rest, you would agree? It would. And I think one of the issues is that those people feel powerless because they don't have a lot of protections. But if they don't go to work, they don't get paid or they get fired. And that's wrong. And I think we have to look for those gaps. I think there can be a test on how uh, reasonable that that, uh, I'm not safe is. And it just can't be I'm not safe because I don't want to work on Friday. Uh, but I think all of those those jobs that you just described, even working at a, a grocery store, you hear these horrible stories of people screaming at them and leaning across and yelling at these people. That makes you feel unsafe because all of a sudden you're not very far from them. And even as a cashier, you're not six feet away from your customer uh, with that conveyor belt at, at a grocery store. So we have to keep that in mind and we have to be respectful of those people. Yeah, I think a lot of things are going to change. That's inevitable. Uh But here's the big question of whether or not uh, we can start to wrap our heads around the fact that we've got to open things up, society, the economy as well, uh, in any kind of a soft launch, as we call it, or a rollout. I mean, Peter, your buddy Trump stateside is talking about uh, doing it with, uh, I guess, a number of states where the incidence of infection are relatively low, uh, and he says he's got governors on side understanding there are important implications to having an economy going again. Uh, 
do you think that we should start having that conversation in this country? Because our own prime minister is saying we're, saying we're still several weeks away, so he's not even broaching the subject when it comes up at his daily press conferences. Is it time now time to start considering that, and how so? I think it is time to start considering it, not because of, uh, he's not my buddy anyway, but not because of anything Trump said. Uh, I understand what, uh, whatever he may be, what he's up against, and I understand what uh, what our leaders are going to be up against. You can see it now uh, if you've watched Michigan, which is, you know, a stone's throw from the west side of this province. Uh, there are people who are taking to the streets in their cars, some who are marching together, not practicing anything to do with uh, social distancing, not wearing masks, nothing, and screaming because they don't like the way the governor of that state is managing things. So I think um, part, you know, it's partly political, um, but we can't operate our provinces or our states on the basis of politics. Uh, we have to we have to take cognizance of the political reality uh, and and let it guide us. But we have to let health. Um, rule us. So as long as it is unsafe, I certainly don't want to mix with other people. But if it's safe, for example, to open parks, which we have locked down tight and we're handing out big tickets in Toronto, and we say uh, we're going to, we have multiple paths into uh, this particular park, and we're going to put up uh, directional signs that say uh, you have to walk this way on that path and another way on another path, and you can't be closer than Maybe it's not six feet. Maybe it's a dozen feet from anybody else. And the only other one person you can be with is the person that you live with. Therefore, there's no danger. Those kinds of rules, they sound tough and they sound difficult to enforce. But I'll tell you what becomes difficult to enforce is you let another month go by and, sh- and the temperatures become 18, 20, 22 degrees on a daily basis with a sky that looks like blue like today. And you're going to have uh, the same kind of problems you've got in Michigan here. So we have to look at those kinds of things and let it become a little bit looser and a little bit looser as the control of the virus becomes tighter and tighter and it goes really down on the wane. So, David, I mean, is that right? I mean, this is one of those first uh, areas that you can start to probe, opening up or relaxing the rules of people walking in parks, maybe kicking around a soccer ball, playing catch, whereas that today would net you an $880 fine or you want to go rollerblading with your family and you're managing to keep everybody in close proximity and away from others. Anything wrong with doing that and opening on that front? Well, I think there is a difference between, um, you know, going for a walk with the person that you that you live with and cohabitate with uh, and arranging to meet a bunch of friends to kick a soccer ball around, which could lead to going into a soccer game or anything. But you're, when you're bringing different people in together is one thing. Peter, you know, Peter talked about some, you know, it, it's strange times we live in. They seem like in any other circumstance, that would have been a radical idea, one-way, you know, walking paths and, uh, you know, 15 feet apart. And now they seem completely reasonable, and they are. What I worry about, you know, with this this push to let's talk about what loosening up is going to look like, is that it takes the it takes people's eye off the ball, which is that we we still have work to do here. Which in our work for all of us is staying home. And the longer we do that, the longer we're going to push this thing forward into the future. The closer we're going to get to a vaccine without overwhelming our healthcare system. But you know, I agree with Peter that when it gets nice out, it's going to be harder to contain. But I think we have to be driving home a message of discipline because I worry about all of this push to what's loosening up, let's look what everybody else is doing, all of that kind of thing leads to either false hope or where people start thinking, well, yeah, no, it's okay now and they're making the decisions on their own. 
and they they lose uh, sight of the fact that we still have a, a big problem here. People are still getting it. It's still spreading, and people are still dying. Yeah, but you have that pressure for a lot of people, and I've talked to some, uh, where they're in the throes of losing their business. And uh, because of that desperation, you know, they're making the devil's bargain of uh, hoping that they can open. As you say, it's easy to be disciplined or have the prime minister say, yeah, it's going to take several more weeks. Yeah, he's a trust fund kid. He'll be looked after. These people with all that sweat equity, 30 years in a business on the brink of losing it, notwithstanding that there's government help in one way, shape or form, but it probably is inadequate. Uh, how do you tell them to keep their doors closed and ride this thing out? I don't know how you do, uh, but I, you know, to, to continue the uh, the idea or the ideology, let's say, of limited opening. I, I was watching a, a little piece yesterday where some countries in Europe have decided to relax a little bit, just a little bit, and one of them was uh, Austria. And I've been in Vienna, and they showed uh, shops opening up in Vienna on a very limited basis. They were starting to people were who owned the shops, small stores of the type you're talking about being allowed to open the door, one customer in at a time to look at things and buy things. Uh, and uh, so far, so good. So it's that kind of thing where, you know, you, you just let the string out a little bit at a time that maybe keeps people um, uh, waiting in a, in a reasonable way for a full opening, which I don't think is coming for a period of months. But if you say... Uh, we have to be good boys and girls and stay in our houses and not come out full stop, period. I think you're spoiling for a, a, a real problem because there are people who just don't want to do that. And uh, they can make it very serious for the rest of us. I want to get rid of this and erase it altogether, eradicate it from uh, the scourge that it is and, and from our society here in Canada, everywhere else, would that everybody were the same. Um, but uh, I, I don't see keeping people under lock and key forever. So I think yeah, it'll it'll be necessary for Trudeau and company and for Ford and company sometime over the next two, three weeks, particular reference to this time of year, to say these are some of the things that we're prepared to do but they will be shut down again if you abuse them. And and there'll be things like what I've described. Yeah, I think the uh, psychology has got to uh, play a part in this and how you impact mass psychology. You've got to give them hope or something to look forward to, to aspire to, rather than this ambiguous, uh, never-ending kind of ongoing, you know, uh, frustration of uh, not seeing any end in sight. Wouldn't you agree, David? I mean, we need somebody to kind of guide us psychologically to a better place. Well, I don't know. You know, the you know, the Premier Ford, uh, you know, announced an extension of the state of emergency until the middle of May. Uh, he's working hard on on you know the you know the you know shoring up long term care, all of those priorities. I would rather have him and his ministers and his staff and the government focused on those things than on placating people who are saying, well, it's going to get warm. What are we going to do after Victoria Day? Because that's typically when Canadians come out of our caves and, uh, you know, shake off the dust. And, uh, you know, and I get that. That's part of our tradition. But when we start watering down the priorities because, you know, we're worried about this and that happening and, and all of these things, I think it, um, it we lose focus. And I think that we got it. Like I think, as a country and as a province and as a city, the, uh, our priorities in the right place right now, and it's hard. And I get it that people are anxious about the future, but I think we do need to be patient. Uh, we need, you know, we're all standing in line to get in the grocery store. We have the capability to be patient, 
And I don't think we necessarily need to be talking about it right now for the danger of that conversation taking over. It's like, oh, why is it going to be May 20th? Why isn't it May 18th? Why isn't it May 14th? And I think that's what's going to happen. Uh, I suspect that there are a lot of uh, conversations going on behind the scenes. I don't think they need to be public at this stage. I think we have to keep people focused on staying inside. All right. Well, let's come back. I'm Sorry, just Peter. Going to say quickly to David that uh, I can contain myself. I have since March 22nd when we drove into the garage, and I haven't even seen the car since then. And I'm not complaining, and I'm not complaining being inside, and I'm, uh, I've got plenty of uh, activities to consume my time. And I'm prepared to go through this for another month or two months or three if that's what they say is necessary. I'm saying that when people see other people in a neighboring state or a neighboring province um, coming to a conclusion through their leaders or with their leaders that they can relax things a little bit and avoid a thousand dollar fine and it's a a guy and his kid playing or maybe a guy and his kids playing catch in a park that's closed to them now um we're gonna have to talk about this we can't do it yet but we're gonna have to talk about it well you know just to jump on that peter i like i we're not disagreeing on a lot but you know, maybe maybe this is the fact that I'm not a gambler at all. You know, I've never been to a casino or any of those things. Uh, you know, if Michigan lightens up and or you know Quebec lightens up, Manitoba, whoever, and and it seems to be fine, and we do the same thing three weeks later, I'm perfectly happy with that. But if we see three weeks later that they've got spikes, we're going to feel pretty good that we didn't follow that we weren't trailblazing in that area. Well, unless we also recognize that there are signs there's a return of this thing, and we handle that accordingly. Uh, I think the other stark reminder of uh, all of this, or what will be the attention grabber, is all the boarded-up shops on Main Street. And uh, that will uh, prompt people to a certain form of action. Let's come back, and I wanted to speak about that, whether or not the government's assistance is adequate, timely. Uh, They've announced some upgrades in their plans earlier today. Does this cover off those who are falling through the cracks? Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.